Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. And uh, I'm certainly stepping a little higher than last week, so I appreciate y'all's patience with me last week. So over the past uh, couple months throughout the summer, we went through uh, just a couple of different mini-series, if you will, looking at the Great Commission. Uh, In detail, we've talked about uh, who's your one over the past month going through that. This week, we're going to go back into a, a book of Scripture and kind of dive deep into Scripture this fall, looking at one of the most practical books in the Bible for how to live the Christian life. And listen, guys, this is not easy material. You already got hit with this once when Pastor Allen was here preaching to you. But we're going to go back into the book of James. He didn't know this was my plan for this fall. But it's a book that's going to challenge us to do better, to be better. And James is filled with just practical, applicable wisdom on being a Christ follower. Now, quite a few years ago, a young Tyler Shields sat in a closet office, this little tiny room upstairs here that Pastor John Craven had claimed. And I would meet, John took time out of his busy schedule every week to meet with little Tyler Shields to mentor and disciple and coach me. And I was so eager to go to John and learn from his vast knowledge of Scripture and learn about ministry and just, 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 just be a, a student engaged with all this cool stuff, right? And you know what he asked me to do, first thing? He said, I want you to hand copy the entire book of James. Now, I'm like 17 years old. I didn't want to write my name, let alone hand copy an entire book of the Bible. But I tell you, through that, I learned, and what I hope that we will learn over the coming weeks, is that this little book, this five chapters in the book of James, is filled with challenges and encouragement and wisdom on what a Christian is supposed to be. This morning, we're going to do an introductory to the book of James, looking at the life of James. We're going to hit one verse this morning, James 1.1, and it says this, but there's actually a lot in this when you look at the life of James. It begins, James... A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Now, we typically skip over this, but I want to talk a little bit about who James was. James was a very common Jewish name in the first century. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew name Jacob. Of course, the Israelites would have loved the name Jacob or James because Jacob was the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And when you look at the New Testament, you look back through history, you realize there are several different Jameses who possibly could have written the book of James. For example, James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John, the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them, could have written the book. But you realize he died early on, even in the New Testament. He was one of the early martyrs. And his death came too early for him to write the book of James. So you weed out all the others, and it leaves one unlikely character named James, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to simply talk about James, as he says, the servant of God and the Lord. 
Jesus Christ. He was called James the Just, as the title of the sermon says. He was even called Old Camel Knees. We'll talk about how he got that name. And before we even get into his writing, there's several things we learn from Old Camel Knees. And the first one is this, very simple. The knowledge of Jesus is not knowing Jesus. James, as Jesus' half-brother, had an incredibly intimate knowledge of Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. He, he was most likely one of the sons of Mary and Joseph, probably the oldest of all the kids after Jesus. He had four, I'm sorry, three other brothers that we know of, and he was likely named after their grandfather, Jacob. There was also, this is just a side note, there was also Simon, Joseph and Judas, who wrote the book of Jude, the little book of Jude in the Bible, and at least two other sisters that we know of. So Jesus had quite an extensive family that we're aware of. And so when we say that James knew Jesus, James literally knew everything there was to know about the person Jesus. He grew up watching, watching him, probably grew up playing with Jesus. He was living in the same home as Jesus, shared the same earthly parents as Jesus. He could probably tell you what Jesus liked what Jesus didn't like, his favorite foods, his favorite colors. He knew more about Jesus than probably most people in history will ever know about Jesus. But here's the problem. All of that knowledge about Jesus does not equate to you truly knowing Jesus. And here's why I say that. John chapter 7 reveals to us a very sad truth. John chapter 7 says this, says the Jewish festival of shelters was near. And so his brothers, Jesus' brothers, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his own brothers who grew up with him, who watched him grow, who watched him mature, who watched him eventually do all of these wonderful things that no other person could ever do. They did not believe that he was the Christ. Even when his ministry began, not even James, this wonderful man, believed that he was the Messiah. And these words here in John 7, they're not, it sounds kind of nice. Go and show yourself, man. Show yourself to the world. Lord. They're not nice words. They're facetious words. They're, they're kind of picking on Jesus a little bit. No one does anything in secret while seeking public recognition. So you think about how do they not believe that Jesus is the Lord? And I think there's several possibilities. Maybe one, they were jealous. But maybe they were just too close. I mean, the person you're growing up with, that you've heard these stories about, that mom and dad's talked about, your own half-brother, can you really believe this person is the Messiah, is God's only son? Now, can you imagine? I'd like to try it, just, just give it a shot. But can you imagine having a, a famous sibling, a rich, famous brother or sister? Imagine living in, the, in that shadow. It'd be like this man named Doug Pitt. Who, who in the world's heard of Doug Pitt? Nobody's heard of Doug Pitt, right? It's Brad Pitt's little brother. But nobody knows Doug. Doug has even become his own man. He's a successful businessman. Doug Pitt is worth, on his own, almost as much as Brad Pitt. Doug Pitt was the first man to ever cycle down Mount Kilimanjaro. 
He's also received several humanitarian awards and recognition for his work to bring clean water to Africa. Doug Pitt supports somewhere around 500 homeless children in southwest Missouri, where he's from. He's an incredible, interesting person, and as great as it would be to meet Doug Pitt, this incredible man, what do you think most people say when they meet him? Hey, what's Brad like? <laughs> you know what Doug does now? He makes up crazy stories about Brad Pitt just to see if they make it to the tabloids. So anyway, as crazy as it would be to be Brad Pitt's unfortunate little brother, can you imagine growing up and living in the shadow of Jesus? Living in the shadow of Jesus' miracles and his ministry. And for whatever reason, it was just too much for Jesus' own brothers to accept and to believe that he truly was the Son of God. Now, they had all the knowledge but that did not mean that they truly knew Jesus. Today, it's the same thing for a lot of folks, isn't it? A lot of people know about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. Knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of the Bible, even experience with church, as wonderful as it is, is no substitute for truly knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see is in the life of James is that James was a, a good man. He was a moral man. Some Jewish legends even say that James literally never did anything wrong. But not even that, not even that coupled with all that wonderful knowledge about Jesus got James any closer to heaven than anything else. But when you do come to know the real Jesus... And this is what we learned from James, is that it radically transforms your life. First thing that Old Camel Knees teaches us is that knowing Jesus transforms your entire life. So what was it? What do you think took James from being an unbeliever, from knowing about Jesus but not believing in Jesus, to being a full-fledged follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? One thing is very simple. is the resurrection. The resurrection, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the resurrected Jesus specifically appeared to his brother James. And it seems that the resurrection had such a profound impact on James that he became not only a believer, but he went from knowing everything there was about Jesus and not believing in him to, to radically and obediently following him in ministry and even eventually laying down his life for him. Now, in the beginning of his letter, he doesn't call himself James the brother of Jesus. If I was Brad Pitt's brother, I'd say, I'm Tyler, Brad Pitt's brother. Good to meet you. But he says, I'm James what? A servant. I'm not James the one who knows everything about Jesus. I'm not James the one that spent more time than anybody else with Jesus. I'm, he didn't try to cash in on this relationship he had. He says, I'm, I'm just James. Now I'm, I'm a servant of God. And Who? Not my brother, but my Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus changed James' life to the point that he and his brothers were waiting with Mary and the others on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. James went from being merely a religious good man to becoming a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church and speaking out for faith in Jesus. He was a from a strict Jewish background. I mean, think about it. Raised in the same home with Jesus under Mary and Joseph. But when the gospel began going to the Gentiles, to these non-Jewish people, guess who it was that spoke up in the early church in Acts 15? It was none other than James. And he said, we don't need to make it any more difficult for these people to come to God than necessary. And his ministry primarily was to his own people. He says to those in the dispersion, to Jewish Christians. 
And he did well most of the time to bridge the gap between Jewish Christians and even Gentile Christians and even had the respect of many Jews in Jerusalem. But when he accepted Jesus, Jesus set his entire life on a different course. It reminds me of the pastor that I often listen to for my own devotion. You ever wonder who the pastor's pastor is? If you want to know, the one that I'd go to more than any other is Pastor Johnny Hunt. He used to be the, the lead pastor down in, in Georgia. And he's had a tremendous impact on my life and ministry. He's the one that, that feeds me quite often. But Johnny Hunt has a great testimony. He grew up in a broken home. He's part Native American. His father left when he was seven. And he became an alcoholic and a gambler at a very young age. Dropped out of high school at 16 and started managing a pool room. But a man kept inviting Johnny Hunt to church. And eventually Johnny Hunt went to this church and Johnny Hunt met Jesus. And that meeting with Jesus and entering a relationship with him set Johnny Hunt's life on a whole different track. Johnny says this. He says, before Christ, my life consisted mostly of gambling and drinking and cursing and fighting and the like. There wasn't much else. He says, Charles H. Spurgeon, a famous English preacher from the 1800s, once said that when God saved him, he lost 80% of his vocabulary. For me, the percentage was probably more like 90%. He said, at the beginning, that meant my testimony for Christ focused primarily on what I had to quit. And in time, however, godly men challenged me to think less about what I had to give up and more about what I had received. And as his life began to change and he began to receive the, God's grace in his life, he got his education he began to preach and pastor churches. He went to seminary. And in my opinion, Johnny Hunt became one of the finest pastors in our country. You see, when you meet Jesus, your entire life changes. And it only gets, it only gets better. Uh, it don't mean everything sunshine and rainbows. But I'm telling you, your life will change drastically for the better through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you can't see the plans that he has for you when you're not following him. There's no way that an illiterate, alcoholic Johnny Hunt could ever dream in his wildest dreams that he would be a pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States. There's no way that James, the half-brother of Jesus, could have ever dreamed that following Jesus, his brother the Messiah, would ever have such an impact on his life. But not only does it change your life, this is what we learn from James. Knowing Jesus radically transforms your behavior. Or at least it should. Now, most of us believe that we can't change the way that we are. And let me fill you in on something. You're exactly right. You cannot change yourself. Now, you can alter some of your behaviors. You can kind of clean up the way that you talk. You can start coming to church and you can attend Sunday school classes and all that wonderful stuff. But really, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what all that's like? How many people still got an old barn somewhere? It's kind of like going out there and painting that old barn and cleaning it up. But guess what? On the inside, it still smells like an old barn, doesn't it? You can clean up everything else on the outside, but it takes Jesus to clean you up on the inside. And the book of James is all about living the way that you should live now that you have faith in Jesus Christ. How all those good things, those good works that you do should proceed from the, the overflow of the relationship that you have with Jesus. Now, James, again, was a highly respected man, even in the Jewish community of Jerusalem, even though he was a Christ follower. He was the only one 
they say, that was allowed to enter the temple by himself to pray. And his daily prayers led to him being called by many people, James the Just. And no one in Jerusalem at that time was considered more righteous than Jesus' half-brother, James the Just. He was a very religious and pious man. And he gets that name, Old Camel Knees, because it was said that his knees were so calloused from kneeling and praying and worshiping God every day. He would just kneel and pray. And they said that he would pray mostly for the forgiveness of his own people. Now, if we went around and showed knees, how many people's knees are calloused from praying so much? This man was literally known for his calloused knees. And in this small five-chapter letter, James is going to teach us things like how to deal with trials, how to have true joy, how to confront temptation, how to treat the poor. He's going to teach us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. He's going to teach us how to control our mouths, to live in humility and repentance, to confess your sins one to another and to lift one another up in prayer. And I'll be honest with you, I think this is exactly what we need desperately. In our communities and in our churches, in our culture today, it's not just a reminder, as Johnny Hunt said, what Christ delivered us from, but all the wonderful things that he's delivered us to. We need a reminder in our culture that God has called us to be different, that he has set his church apart, and we are to pursue holy lives and to live more like Jesus. We need a reminder from James that faith without works is dead and that Jesus not only saves us from an eternity in hell, thank God he does, but he loves us so much that he's not going to leave us in the mess that we're in once we come to know him. And through him, through Jesus, what we learn through James is that our entire beings, everything that we are, are being transformed. And lastly, we learn from old camel knees that knowing Jesus radically transforms your future. At one point in his life, James had no intention of ever following Jesus. How many people can relate to that? Never thought that he would be following Jesus as his Lord, let alone serving him or dying for him. James was one that clung to his religion. He clung to his Traditions. He clung to his Jewish roots. But James began to preach about Jesus, even though he wanted to uphold the Jewish law. And he became a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. And, and that, coupled with preaching Jesus, made some certain people very, very upset. A group called the Pharisees. And the great historian Josephus tells us that the Pharisees plotted like they plotted to have Jesus killed. They plotted to have James killed. And he tells us that his sentence was to be stoned to death unless he publicly renounced his faith in Jesus. Another man named Eusebius tells us that they took James up to the pinnacle of the temple. It's the same place that Satan took Jesus to try and tempt him. And the Pharisees took James up on top of the pinnacle of the temple and they demanded that he renounced Christ in front of this crowd of people down below. And sources say that James only responded by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, quote, Why do you ask me about Jesus, the Son of Man? He said, He sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power, and He will soon come on the clouds of heaven, which is exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13. And so what did they do when James refused to denounce Christ? They pushed Him off the pinnacle of the temple. 
And he fell down to the hard stone below and he did not die. And he, sources tell us that he once again raised up off the ground onto his calloused knees and he began to pray one more time. This time not for himself, but he began to pray for those Pharisees saying, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now, who does that sound like? He had a good example, didn't he? And he began to pray for them. And Eusebius tells us that they began to stone him again to try and kill him. And it says, one of them who was a fuller took the club with which he beat out clothes and he struck the just man on the head. And thus he suffered martyrdom. You see, Jesus not only changes your life, he not only changes who you are and how you are and how you act and how you speak and how you think, but he changes your entire future. You see, he takes a hopeless mess and he gives you a future and a hope. Is what the Bible says. A hope that is so real that like James, you're willing to put it all on the line for the Lord Jesus. That you see the reality of eternity so clearly. It's so real to you. And that hope is so real that you don't care if it costs you your life or even your livelihood to follow Jesus. Now let me ask you something, church. Here's where we want to end up this morning. Do you know Jesus like that? Are you following Jesus so closely that every part of you is changing? And what I mean by that is that every, every part, every fiber of your being, every, even your, your thoughts and your attitudes and your, your motives, it's all becoming more like Christ. Can, can you honestly say that this morning? Maybe you're here today and you've been following a Jesus. And what I mean by that, you know about him, you know about Jesus, you've read about him in the Bible, and you've been following this idea, this concept of who Jesus is, like James had an idea of who Jesus was, but do you truly know the person, Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, so much so that he's changing every part of your life? And if you don't this morning, I want you to know that no matter where you find yourself in life today, or whatever situation you're in, No matter what's going on around you, COVID and Afghanistan, it just looks like everything's starting to come to a head. And we just, like we sang about, we just hope that Jesus comes quickly, right? But no matter where you find yourself this morning, if you think you're a mess or if you think that you've been disobeying God or maybe you've not even been living right, I want you to know that Jesus can take your life just like it is this morning. Even regardless of your unbelief, and He can radically change who you are and set you on a course of becoming more like Him. And let me tell you something. Is that scary? When your life begins to change? It can be. We don't like change, do we? But when you're following Jesus and you're becoming more like Him every single day, there's not a better thrill in this world. I can promise you that. Let's stand together and pray. Father, this morning, as we begin into this incredible book, Lord, as we begin to study the words from someone that knew you so well, and to think, Lord, that he has a testimony like us, that at one point he didn't even believe. But then he met the real Jesus. 
See, James, Lord, we know that he, 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 he knew Jesus. He thought he knew Jesus. But then he met the resurrected Jesus. And Lord, that's who we meet today. We know a risen Savior. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus in that capacity as Lord and Savior and King, God, I pray that they would just come to know Him today. And Lord, if we've been following some false idol that we've made up, some, some crazy misconception of who You are, Lord, I pray that we would commit to following the real Lord Jesus today and serve Him. As James said, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we learn about how to be a Christ follower through James, or if there's still a bunch of junk in our lives, maybe we've just refused to address it. Maybe we've been ashamed to approach it. Lord, I pray, as James says, that we would just confess that this morning and find healing, that we could be forgiven and follow Christ closer. Lord, whatever it is that someone needs to do today, I pray that you give them courage in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we sing a song of invitation, we sing again about Jesus. You need to come to this altar and pray. If there's a decision that you need to make about salvation or you need to recommit your life to Christ or if it's even church membership, why don't you come this morning as we sing. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.